Hi, I'm Dan Cottrell, editor of Rugby Coach Weekly. You're about to jump into one of our podcasts. If you want to find out more about this podcast and also all of the great content, drills, activities, games and advice on the website, then go over to www.rugbycoachweekly.net. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Be the best rugby coach you can be. Welcome to Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast with head coach Dan Cottrell, where you learn hints and tips from the rugby coaching community. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast. I'm Dan Cottrell, head coach with Rugby Coach Weekly. And on this podcast, I am delighted to welcome along Nick Scott, Nick has worked previously with the RFU and uh, now coaching out in Italy, but he is now going to give us some of the details. So welcome to the pod, Nick. And thanks for asking me, Dan. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, yes, I, I had probably 20 years with, well, it was 20 years with England rugby. Um, and my uh, last eight years there were as national coaching development manager um, which was, I know the RFU gets a lot of stick, it, but it was a great organisation to work for. But living in North Nottinghamshire and travelling to Twickenham started to wear a little bit thin. So, um, and also kind of uh, after a while in the same place, um, I took the plunge and went to be director of rugby at a, uh, a club just on the edge of Parma uh, in Italy, um, Rugby Colorno, great little club. Um, went there 2018, so uh, had a great time there. COVID's driven a little bit of a furrow through the middle of that, um, which we'll probably come to a little bit later. But uh, yeah, life's an adventure. Um, embrace it. You should do something that frightens you every day. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, maybe me interviewing you, it was quite frightening. Uh, in part, uh, mainly, I don't want to uh, spare any blushes here. Nick has done an enormous amount with the RFU, and um, I've been very lucky to catch up with him on a number of occasions. And we're going to maybe recount one of the stories he told me uh, <laughs> um, about uh, dealing with uh, his daughter's uh, flat problems. But. Um, You've obviously had an enormous amount of experience uh, working with the RFU and developing resources and developing coaches. But I'm thinking about your own coaching and particularly what has changed in your coaching in the last five years? I'm probably um, not a typical product of uh, what I preach in a way. Um, it's, I'm not a great reflector. Um, I'm probably not as aware as I should be of the changes that I've made in the last five years. Probably better asking somebody who coaches with me. Um, one of my problems is I, I don't consciously reflect on my coaching. It happens somewhere in the background um, and it doesn't happen. Uh, my reflections don't happen when I expect them to happen. Um, it's more of a gradual process for me. Um, I've never sat there one day and said, right, this coaching session, I'm going to be like this. Because I think if you do that, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to change and be like this. I think if you do that, uh, there's a risk that you, uh, that you lose authenticity. So knowing you were going to ask me that question, um, one thing that has made me change is total immersion in a new culture, a new rugby culture. 
Um, when I went over there, I didn't speak a word of the language apart from pizza, pasta, and vino were probably the limits of my um, the limits of my uh, language skills in Italian, and uh, it was a real kind of full-on immersion into a, a, a different world. Um, what have I learned? What have I changed? When you go somewhere different, <clears throat> there's a couple of effects. It, it embeds and reinforces some of your older prejudices. And then sometimes as well, if you're lucky, it makes you look at the world in a different way. One of the things that it has embedded being over there is uh, my coaching philosophy which is about coaching people, not coaching players, an individualist approach to coaching. Um, When I played way back in the last century, when I started coaching way back in the last century, one size fitted all, but now I think one size fits one. You have to really be that adaptable and um, emotionally intelligent with your coaching. Um, I was a long way down the the continuum of questioning and coaching through games. Um, when I got over there, I realised that does not suit everyone. You have to change your approach, and it certainly didn't approach. Uh, sorry, certainly didn't um, fit with the Italian cultural expectations of what a coach did and what a director of rugby did. So it's embedded that individualistic approach that I've had. One one size fits one. So there's a couple of things which jump out to me. First of all, um, this idea of coaching people, not players, which I think a lot more coaches are talking about now, and it's a lot more important to coaches. What does that What does that look like differently to you? So on your on a day to day basis, you're in front of um, a bunch of players. What are you doing differently to what you were doing before? So um, spending more time one-to-one with people, teeing up ideas, just um, having uh, small conversations over drinking a lot of coffee with individuals. (laughs) Um, The group of players we had in Kelowna when I got there, we'd got Samoan internationals, a few South Africans, obviously got Italians, Romanian. Uh, We've got a guy... Uh, Indian, um, we've got a, a real range, let me think, French, um, English. We had um, Fred Tuilangi, um, the son of Freddie, and Ollie Smith. So we had a real uh, cultural mix. You cannot stand in front of a group of people like that um, <clears throat> and give them information in a way that they will all accept and process you have to there has to be different strategies for each individual person your coaching methods um, have to appeal to to different people and how they want how they w- will best receive their information um, the questioning approach for example um, doesn't go down particularly successfully with Italians who have been coached since, particularly adult players, I'm talking adult players here, who have been coached in a certain way ever since they picked up a rugby ball. Um, It's about uh, 
it's about doing an awful drinking an awful lot of coffee and having an awful lot of conversations with people away from the training pitch um, and then it's about presenting your information your your conversations in different ways to suit the individual so if you were talking to some players and you wanted to uh, improve them and you're saying that these some of these players their expectations not to have questions yet we we know to a certain extent that questioning is a very powerful way to help the players improve do you think that you would try and persuade them to accept that questions are a good way or are you just going to have to bend and say i'm just going to give them this information in this particular way and uh if they like questions one day that's great but generally i'm not going to bend are you going to try and change their expectations or just work with them I think one strategy I unconsciously came to use was not being afraid of <clears throat> firing out with a statement. Um, we're sometimes afraid of making statements. You know, we this is happening in the contact area, but then following up with questions such as, you know, so what what is making that happen? We're sometimes afraid of state state making a statement. Um, Sometimes if you make a statement which people agree with or they're maybe not aware of, then you can start to explore a little bit further. So it's a, a kind of a compromise in a way. Um, yeah, and, and that works. So we've got a couple of Argentinians, for example, um, who did enjoy that. that, that kind, oh, that's my silly talking, sorry. Um, who... <laughs> who did understand um, uh, that approach. And so obviously you can drink lots of coffee with players who are there on a professional, semi-professional level. And I know you've worked in and around the grassroots uh, part of the club as well. So how would you, as a coach, uh, develop the people rather than the players when you don't necessarily have the time to... Uh, say to, to a couple of players, oh, well, let's meet up for coffee. I mean, it needs a slightly different approach. What would you suggest? Um, I will make a, a confession here. Um, at Colorno, we had a mix of mostly full-time players. Um, uh, and we did work a, a couple of ex-internationals. Uh, we did work a lot with those guys. Um and we leaned on those guys more than we leaned on the part-time boys. And the part-time boys, I think, probably felt a little bit left out, as if there was a kind of a secret club going on. <laughs> so it is difficult. Working in a community setting, um, again, I think it's working with a leadership group, getting the leadership group to buy into and understand the messages, and then have them cascade them to other people um, in their own words giving them the tools, the, um, <clears throat> the words, the method, the method by which they can, uh, can spread the message for you. Um, it doesn't always have to come from you. Really difficult for me in those early days, not speaking the language. Mm. Um, I relied a lot on Roland de Marigny, who was a South African, and uh, he was the assistant coach, and Christian Prestere, a great head coach from Argentina, um, I relied a lot on their skills, their personal skills, to be able to to um, 
to pass those messages on for me, the, the philosophy that we were trying to create. But yeah, that is a challenge. The, one of the benefits of a professional out, um, uh, outfit is that you can um, spend time with people. Interestingly, <clears throat> one of the real challenges this year was the whole COVID situation um, in that it was impossible to spend that time with people. We had to go, go have our COVID test, do the session and come not even eat or drink together, just go home and uh, the environment really suffered for that, really suffered. It's interesting that you were in, you were given this situation where you obviously, the language was going to be um, a barrier. And I wonder whether as coaches, we could perhaps then take a, our own reflection on that and say to ourselves that, Maybe we need to use the players to discuss things, pick up with a leadership group, talk to them, and then pass on the message. But I wonder then, how much good feedback are they able to give you? Are they able, Because you're in a position of power, obviously, and they want you to hear the right things, the things which are the right, right words, so they get selected. So how do you disentangle what they're saying back to you and make sense of it? Um, John Wells came over and coached with us and he was really good at this. He identified really quickly um, <clears throat> the important with people within the group and the honest people within the group who would be honest in their feedback to him because Wellesy spoke less Italian than I did. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, he, um, he picked up on this really, really quickly. One thing I learned was the importance of language. And when I say that, clarity common having a common language very quickly within a group of people you can pick up a common language um i learned very quickly that actually less is more <coughs> and the less you say the less likely things are to be misunderstood um lots of little stories that uh, you know where things that i did say i can remember when we were recruiting players after our promotion uh, having a conversation with our head coach and uh, I used YouTube, um, Google Translate or Deep or I can't remember which tool and um, it translated hookers as prostitutes <laughs> and um, he got very confused when I said you know the the squad needed a quality prostitute um, and all those kind of things uh, you have to be that's an extreme example but you have to be really sure of what you're saying double check it um then think about how you're saying it um and in my feedback i'll be honest if i've always believed this but it, it's it's really um it, it's really uh in embedded in my mind now if you can't say to to players in 20 seconds what you want to say then you've probably not thought it through and it's probably not not worth saying so doing that in a foreign language was a real challenge it made me absolutely be sure of, of <clears throat> what i wanted to say to the guys um yeah yeah and can you give me an example then of a sort of sort of language obviously there is common language like a ruck and a pass 
uh, these are these are terms that we all know, but there must be specific language that you wanted them to do, say, in and around the contact area or the tackle area, where you found that the words you used were particularly powerful, where the, the players were immediately understood what you meant. So you can shout tackle at somebody, uh, but there must be some more specific language to uh, So one of the reminders <clears throat> that were used, one of the things that the guys and it's a function of the way they're coached when they're younger. Um, They're coached in a series of drills where they probably queue up for a minute, work for three seconds, then stop. Um, What that meant was there was a mentality of not getting back into the game quickly because they kind of would do their bit of work during, during a match, do their bit of work, and then gradually get to their feet very slowly, think, where they should be and and then eventually get there. So the only phrase I could think of that was back in the game, get get back in the game. And that became one of our uh, English mantras that was understood by Italians. It's very, very just, and our analyst called it B-I-G, just, you know, back in game, back in game. And... uh, so that's a, a word that, or a, a, a short phrase that um, meant something to everybody back in the game, back in the game, in attack or defence. And it's finding those little shortcuts and those little short phrases that everybody understands. And just taking that, taking that on to the next level then, is that sometimes we become jargonistic in what we say. How... And one of the things you talked about was authenticity. How do you create that authenticity when you are using terms all the all the time? How do you make it more real to them? Uh, um, again, I so as director of rugby, um, we my role is working through uh, through coaches. Um, we've got a full time professional team playing in the top ten. We've got a women's team with half a dozen internationals in there. Uh, we've got a under-19s team with four or five uh, National Academy players in there. So my role was working through those coaches and making sure that they have the they that as a as a group, a coaching team um, across different t- different age groups and different outcomes for each group. We had a common understanding of what we were, tra- common philosophy, essentially, of what we were trying to achieve. So that meant, again, lots of coffee, um, <laughs> lots of time spent aligning everybody within within the club um, and relying, relying a huge amount on their skills as well, their coaching skills, helping them with their coaching skills as well. But their coaching and communication skills, it couldn't, it couldn't, a lot of that stuff couldn't come from me. Um, I didn't have the language skills to be able to get really into the, the depth of, um, of, of, of what it was. One thing that I do think has changed about my, not just my coaching, but my whole uh, life experience is because you can't rely on necessarily understanding the language, uh, you rely much more on body language. And I'm, I think I've become much more perceptive, even in you know board meetings that got quite Italian at times, yeah. um, being able to work out who's fed up, who's happy, who's 
not through understanding the language, but and it's the same with players, just picking up on um, whose shoulders are doing what. Um, of course, in Italy, um, there are two languages. There's the language they speak, and they're very, very uh, their their body language and their hand signals are are huge as well. And, and getting to understand those is a is a challenge in itself. But yeah, I, th- I think there's all those little skills that have been picked up over the um, the three years I've been there have been uh, have been really good fun actually. <laughs> so I'm now thinking that, um, and you've been involved in helping to deliver and uh, design and uh, produce courses, and there is an argument that the level one or the introductory le- introductory level courses now for coaches probably take away quite a lot of the the rugby content and coach concentrate on the coaching content. Now, where where do we where should we sit on this? I mean. In an ideal world, we would give coaches or coaches would have the opportunity to do many, many hours of coach education, but it's not going to happen. So is the balance right? Is it wrong? Because obviously the things you just talking about are are key skills in allowing the best information to get across. Yet you can become an excellent communicator, but if you've got nothing to communicate, then you're just as useless as the person who's got lots to communicate but can't communicate it. Yeah, there has to be substance um, to what you're communicating, um, and there has to be a, a coaching eye to be able to um, uh, understand what you're seeing as well, um, and feedback accurately. Um, but more and more, um, this generation of people need their of young people need their um feedback in a certain way otherwise you're talking to a, a you know you're talking to a brick wall um it needs to be fed back in, in in a certain way um so when i talk about authenticity uh each coach each coach will have a relationship should have a relationship with each player an understanding of the personality of each player and we'll understand how to feed back to each individual. That's just as important as having um, a uh, individual player development plan, technically, or a, you know a, a game plan. Um, you know, a, a people understanding tactically how we're going to play. So uh, I don't think you can separate the two. You need substance. You need detail. Um, but you can have all the detail in the world. If you mm. if you can't if you don't know how to get through to an individual, you won't be a successful coach. This is quite scary, I suppose, because um, national governing bodies are looking at their coaching groups coming through. Obviously, the guys at the top end of the game, they've got plenty of chance to immerse themselves in coaching and learn about it. But the the Sunday morning uh, mum or dad, that's 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 more difficult. So I suppose the challenge really is to take some of those things that you're saying and get the, that balance right. So um, is it is it fifty fifty? Is it seventy five twenty five? I mean, I'm, I'm just uh, throwing out numbers there. Where's the balance? So for me, the game since eighteen, whenever William Webb Ellis picked the ball up, uh, has been based on a series of principles, and we all know those. Uh, uh, gain possession, go forward. Um, 
I think a priority, when we're talking about the, the what to coach, a priority is, is getting coaches to understand the principles of play. Um, and some of the actions, some of the techniques involved in making those principles of play work. Uh, so is it 50-50? I, I don't know. I, I, I Rather than say it's a, a percentage one way or the other, I just would say there's a mutuality of, of, amongst the both that they, they have to go uh, be completely connected. Um, completely connected. I've seen lots of, lots of coaches who are technically absolutely spot on but have ultimately not been as good as they could be because they they because of their empathy, their communication skills, their ability to um, get their message across. And equally, I've seen coaches, a lot of coaches, who've got wonderful empathy skills, but ultimately, ultimately, where's the beef? You know, where's the um, where's the the bit that they that players that really improve um, performance players. And that has to be there as well. Yeah, definitely. And uh, something I've learned probably myself in the last couple of years is that players respond to obviously very good empathetic coaches, but also they want to learn. And that's a very motivating factor. If someone can give you um, something which is going to make a difference technically to them, they will then respond more next time because they can see it's potentially potentially working. We've now, got, to be, we've got so, to be careful. It's just a personal thing on mine that I, I came across when I went to Italy. We tried to work out um, rugby should be fun. <clears throat> and the word over there is divertimento. Um, that was interpreted and has been interpreted over here as being laughing, smiling, happy, clappy, run around, laughing fun. Fun is, is it's not actually fun, it's enjoyment. And you get enjoyment from... Enjoyment, satisfaction, satisfaction from problem solving, satisfaction from thinking of something new, satisfaction from um, uh, achieving something. And we have to, uh, I, I think we've got to be careful not to ignore that. Don't misinterpret fun as just being running around with a smile on your face because it's more than that. Yeah, otherwise no one would ever run um, half the marathons Absolutely, or marathons, would yeah. they? Yeah, which, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I've never done just for the no, record. Neither I don't I. think I don't think there's fun or enjoyment in it for me, but I understand it is for others. Or I mean, I quite happily sit and watch five days of a test match, yeah, uh, yeah. which would be a different sort of uh, fun for others. So we were the, the next question I was going to ask you uh, was about what does a regular training session look like. But I want to just change that a little bit because something we're sort of thinking about now is how you operate with the players. How much do you plan your sessions or how important is planning um because it's, it's often said that um a plan only survives until you're the first point of contact or you're punched in the face which i think is too often said and makes makes a mockery of actually the detail but you might yet make the mockery of what i've just said in in terms of planning what do we need to do um do we need to be more flexible and in a sense, what does your plan look like? One thing that um, that worked really well with our coaches <clears throat> was we, we would have um, S&C guys working with players, rehab, um, and then the, the head coach and the, you know, the various different groups. We, we um, just 
put simple radios on them. So if something needed a little bit more, more time um, or was going slightly different to plan or if one of the coaches felt the feedback he was getting from what he was seeing and what he was hearing that um, we might need to change the next little bit, um, that provided that, that just revolutionised the way we coached. Um, ultimately, the head coach has to have the final say. You can't have um, people coming in with ideas all the time. There has to be a, de- a degree of who's who's the decision maker here. But Christian was a very good coach at, at working through that. So before, with uh, I'm talking about with the women's team and with the the, the men's team, the professional team, <clears throat> we would have a series of focuses. Um, uh, that we uh, we'd agreed for the next week for the for the week's training, um, they would be discussed with the captain and with the the. We had little groups um, leading in in different areas of the game, and they would we would agree with them um, priorities for the next week and agree a plan for the next week as to how we were going to address those priorities. Those priorities came from. A couple of things. Um, obviously, something is react, you know, a bit reactive to what happened the previous weekend, but also the way we're heading, the way we're, the, the direction of travel for the team. We would have a, a you know an idea of what the direction of travel was, how we wanted to play, um, and how we're going to get, you know, how are we going to get there? How is this week's training going to play? We would then. Um, after the leadership group and the coaches had the coaches having the final say, but agreed the priorities for the week, the coaches would plan a session, um, and then or plan the week's sessions, um, and then this would all be fed forward to the players. So the players would meet before training. They they were all great. They would have a cot. We'd trained in the evening, um, gym during the day, and then trained in the evening so the part time guys uh, could join us. And <clears throat> again, it would be coffee. Um, before we go into a team meeting where there's a video and the players, uh, the leaders, we help them explain to the players what we're going to work on and why um, to give context to the piece of work that we were going to do. Um, And then the players would would have a little discussion. Um, By the time we got out on the pitch, um, we usually got a pretty good consensus of the way we wanted to what we wanted from the session um <clears throat> there was a very good our captain was a, he's a really good guy Jacopo Sato um he played for Italy um he's now about 29 30 years old um he was just fantastic uh in that you could just walk across to Jacopo and say is this working and uh he would um I tell you quite bluntly in Italian whether it was or whether it wasn't, and uh, you know he, he was very good with his feedback. And two or three others, the South African guys were usually pretty good at that as well. Um, so the plan was pretty much by the time we got out on the pitch, a consensus. Um, when I talk about coaching people um, and not coaching players. There are obviously uh, a group of, within any group, there's a group of people who just keep their head down and do as they're told. Um, Those people were the ones you pick off away from the club um, and just find out how they're going, not 
<clears throat> they're not people who want to put their hand up during a session and and, and uh, give an opinion necessarily. Um, so those are the ones that you pick off away from the club. Do our plans change? Um, no, not not hugely during sessions. Um, individual parts of sessions may may change. Um, there may be a little bit of time, you know, a coach may on the radio just say, look, I need two minutes more, three minutes more. Um, but that's generally managed pretty well. Now, my worry here is that uh, this works very well for a professional setup and everything you've described there is very much everybody's involved at the right moment to make sure that the time on the pitch, which is always limited, is made the best use of. Now, if we then say to, say, a grassroots coach who's maybe coaching their under-14s, you need to plan. They obviously can't do that sort of planning. Um, to, to what extent do you think that they should be investing in the planning and to what extent should they be investing in other things that they could perhaps do differently? So I, I think that I told you my coaching philosophy. Um, mm. I think uh, every coach should have uh, an understanding of what their playing philosophy is. And their playing philosophy is how they like the game to be played. Um, what they <clears throat> picture as being their perfect game, if you like, uh, whatever age group, and you know, under 14s. And then an understanding of exactly what is required from the players on the pitch to, to, to play that game. <clears throat> and then an understanding of where the players currently are and then the, the the planning is involved is right this is what we I this is my playing philosophy hopefully it's a really positive one not just kick the ball down the other end or whatever this is my playing philosophy this is how I believe the game should be played this is what I've got and the skill of coaching is joining those two together over a season or over mm. two seasons and uh for individuals within that group, particularly in a community under-14s group, it, it, again, it's coaching people. There'll be players, um, will, some will be a long way from being able to play the game you want and others will be very close to it. And um, again, there's no substitute for observation, um, individual feedback, um, really putting the hours into looking at at, at the um, what indi each individual player is able to do and what they're capable of as well and how you're going to get them there. Seems a lot of it, it goes down to being very patient uh, with what you can achieve and not to have, I mean, to have high expectations, not to have them that's going to happen next week or the week after. I um, at Colorno, what I did with the the junior coaches because my remit goes right the way down to under sixes. Um, you would love it. Under sixes over there play full contact. Mm, um, I know <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs> um, but, and it, but I mean, okay, let's just uh, let's go from that one. Is is that the right thing? Uh, they've got some great rough and tumble skills. Kids love rough and tumble. They're not going to mm. get hurt. The trouble is, they never passed a ball in the whole, in any game I ever saw. Uh, under six level, um, the ball was just never passed. So they were well, that's that's uh, that's like tag rugby here. So it, it, it is. Not... Yeah, yeah. No, I I wouldn't. 
I went over there thinking there would be um, I'd be horrified by it. Actually, they learned some really good wrestling skills and things like that. Um, it was it, it was what it was. I'm not going to change the world. What I tried to do was um, give uh, the under sixes to the under tens and incorporating the under twelves um, a little bit of a focus as to what what was success at the end of the year. And I just want somebody to come out of the under twelves. Um, and I called it. I used some of the um, some of the literature that we've used in the past. I call that learn to play. Um, I just want them to learn how to play, have fun, enjoy the game, um, run, score, you know, score lots of points. Just learn how to play, how to how to listen to a set of rules because that's important. How to work within a team because that's really important. So learn cooperative play. 14s to 16s, we did, we, we called that, um, in Italian it worked better, but learn to train, um, because that was a little bit more about, a little bit more discipline, a little bit about maximising um, uh, what we as a group, we as individuals could, could achieve and what we needed to do to achieve. Um, and, and when I'm talking about achieve, it's not achieving winning. It's just about personal development, what, what each individual needed to do. So a little bit more focused, a little bit more, I use the word disciplined. But uh, And then from our 18s, you know, when you've got boys in the National Academy side, they need obviously need another step, which is learning how to, learning how to win. Um, and there are certain things you need to be able to, understand a function within a team that how will help will give us a competitive advantage um as we learn to win so how about uh, the individual then you uh, we talk about you talk about learn to play and one of the things which strikes me about the game and it's 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 not changed and we use the term terminology quite a lot is the game's full shapes and sizes and i think that is uh, very much comes down to your approach as well because some players uh, I've no interest in kicking a ball, uh, no interest in passing. What they want is the rough and tumble. They want to, um, they if they've made three or four big tackles in the game, that really for them is is their bread and butter. Whereas players probably a bit more like me, if I made a tackle, it was a slight miracle, but I'd love to be running around and scoring tries. So there is sometimes a danger, I've, I sense, and I'd be interested to see what your view is, it, that we're trying to create this sort of uh, all-court game player at uh, 12, 13, or the awareness of being an all-court player, but really, they, they're actually, they'd be better off, to a certain extent, pigeonholed, because that's why they really enjoy the game. They're not interested in doing doing the extra extras on sprints and things like that, or passing and kicking, because they don't really see the value in that, and they, they, they see more value in other parts. Now, I know that's dangerous because really you want to have a player who is more rounded. Can can you see? Is that does that make some sense? Yeah, I, not, I understand. Not that the approach makes sense, but whether we need to think that way. I understand what you're saying. Um, one of the dangers, though, is you, you call it pigeonholing. Um, I, I would call it limiting by ambition, and mm-hmm. um, the big lad, the big girl at under twelve. <clears throat> may change in body shape and if they haven't got the um 
the skills. I think they can just get more enjoyment out of the game by having mm. a, a greater range of skills. Um, just trying something in a game, you know, and, and, and actually, wow, I enjoyed that. I could do that. I didn't think I could do that. And um, giving people a wider range of skills that it is surely something we need to, uh, uh, is one of the benefits of sport and one of the benefits of coaching. Um, Kyle Sinclair has you know, got great soft hands. Um, mm. He probably, uh, I don't know where he's got that from, um, but uh, yeah, he's got good soft hands. And uh, he probably 10 years ago, he would have been pigeonholed as just you pushing the scrum, the old one. Well, I think he's had a very good and interesting coaching journey. Uh, I think it's uh, Anastasia Long. Yeah, Anastasia, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and she's obviously, well, she's a very, very fine coach and one, someone we, we should be listening to as much as possible. But I think that uh, he's got, he's obviously got the capabilities to do that. There are other players that we can probably think about who enjoyed other parts of the game. I wouldn't want to say this made necessary to his face, but I'm sure Jason Leonard uh, enjoyed the game, but he wouldn't want to, he, he wouldn't picture himself as a Kyle Sinclair mm. type player. Mm. Um, but he got an enormous amount of pleasure out of other parts of the, other parts of the game. Yeah. Rugby has to stay. There has to be a place for all shapes and sizes and all skill sets, um, particularly at community level. Um, mm. But it's important that, younger age groups um we stay uh we keep all the doors open for every player mm. um i played my first game of men's rugby it's funny i talked about this on saturday at newark uh, my first game of rugby when i was 15 men's rugby at 15 and i gave the ball to a prop who threw it over his shoulder and the next break in play he said i come here to push in scrums don't you ever spoil my afternoon again by giving <laughs> me the ball i don't want it <laughs> which was, uh, but that was that was a long time ago. Well, yeah, but I I'm, I, I watched my son play um, the other week um, at a, one of the local Bristol teams, and some of the guys there they obviously enjoyed nothing to do with the ball. <laughs> yeah, um, and they had a great time. Yeah, they were frustrated by certain things, and other players wanted to run and pass and. I sort of think other players just want to take the ball and run straight into somebody. That's what the enjoyment they got out yep. of the game. Yep. Now, if you're going to say to that person, uh, maybe you want to use some footwork or do it through questioning, that's possible. But really, if they can, they can knock somebody back into next week. That's uh, that's a job done for them. But you know, we we maybe need to think uh, more wisely about that now. Um, there were hundreds of other questions. We were, a couple of other questions we're going to ask and go go over, but we'll leave that for another time. I want to just sort of wrap this up with a, a story that uh, you told me. Well, it wasn't a story; it was a real life situation. Uh, we met up in the middle of the pitch at a coaching conference in Twickenham, mm. and we were talking about various coaching uh, situations. And uh, you said, "Well, I was a bit late here today because I had to answer a call from my." my daughter and it gave me a very good coaching story so i can't remember how much you remember of it but maybe you can tell us about i can't why, remember the, why were you late um, for the why were you late for such an important conference 
And what was the coaching lesson from it? It wasn't because I'd slept in. Um, it was because my daughter uh, in a university flat had gone into uh, four girls in a flat. They'd gone in and found a rat in the um, in the room. And uh, I can't remember the, all the details. It's a few years ago now. But uh, I decided to go through the coaching process and help her um, uh, help her find the best solution. And uh, I, I did the questioning approach. And uh, after a very short amount of time, she kind of uh, said to me in no uncertain terms, look, don't give me all that coaching crap. Just tell me what to do. And... Uh, <coughs> um, yeah, sometimes you do need to fire those bullets and, and uh, <laughs> uh, tell people in no uncertain terms, this is the best thing to do at this point in time. Um, you talked earlier about patience. Sometimes there is no time for patience. I haven't got time for patience. So, uh, yeah, that, that, I can't remember the exact details, but um, that's, yeah, that was a, quite a lesson for me was sometimes you need to, bang, go straight in with it and... Um, uh, fire the bullet yeah and sometimes people you know very well they know what you're doing and yeah, they say yeah, just yeah. don't give me the question stuff just tell tell it to me straight yeah what needs to happen here so i then can then can get on with that um so i mean you know going back there is there are important times to ask questions because um you 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 want the person to actually struggle and think for themselves so there will be other times when you need to say, um, as obviously if there's a rat under the uh, the sofa, <laughs> that's um, it's more essential to deal with the rat at that pump, that moment. But there are going to be other occasions where the person on the other end needs to struggle. They need to think for themselves, maybe use their own language, and then you can use their language back to them. There's there's two two one thing I I hate about questioning the questioning approach when it's done badly is when the coach asks a question that they clearly know the answer to and they're waiting for the right answer to come and they go good or something like that um i'm really quite comfortable with asking a question that i either don't know the answer to or um i pretend i don't know the answer to try and act as though i don't know the answer to that that comes with how you shape your your questions as well because um as a coach, I know what something looks like, um, but the player knows what it feels like. So asking them some something personal about what something felt like, uh, what their experience was, is more meaningful, I think, and more personal to them than than just asking questions that you already know the answer to. Um, that's, that's quite lazy. It's just, it, it's just as bad as as telling somebody uh, in many ways. Because there is that, you know, when they get the right answer, answer, that yeah, you know, it, it just it's patronising. Um, yeah, it, it is patronising. Um, I think there's a very good story uh, that's told about Richard McCall when he was uh, being analysed, uh, and he was asked a question: why, why didn't you make that pass? And he said, um, "Well, this is what you can see." but this is what I felt yeah. at that time. So I felt at the time I made the right decision to do whatever, whatever I yeah. did. Yeah. And I think that does, that is important that we respect the fact that sometimes you, you can't see what they can see. And I think the other thing is you can't necessarily 
understand what they're feeling at the time because there's so many things that pent up inside you. You're you're feeling very confident or you're not feeling very confident. You feel that an opposition player isn't feeling confident or you can sense something else. So mm. yeah, absolutely. that's when a, that's when a, a chance you can ask, as you said, that almost open-ended question. And they may, you may have to say, okay, I can understand why you felt that. Yeah. Yeah. I might've done it differently, but that's what you felt. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that promotes a little bit of, of self-reflection. I started this by saying, I'm not a, a fan. I don't self-reflect particularly well. Um, but, if as a coach you just prod and um, just raise a question, there'll be some time later in the future when you hope that the player or the coach that you're working with uh, <clears throat> comes back to it and uh, at some completely random moment and, and it makes sense to them. But it doesn't happen always when we expect it or when we want it. No, no and I think that uh, we, we talked a bit earlier about patience um, when you're coaching and sometimes you are pleasantly surprised and other times you are you're frustrated yeah. that your plans have fallen yeah. by the wayside absolutely nick brilliant to catch up with you and well done surviving with your cough uh, <laughs> Sorry throughout this yeah, yeah. bit of uh, hay fever that, i'm afraid yeah um we will return to some of the other things that we were going to get in some quite um sticky areas about uh skill acquisition and language but that's that's for another time so um Good luck with the uh, the Italian job, as uh, one one could say, and with that, and um, I also say would like to say that you've written a couple of great articles for the New Rugby Coach Weekly magazine. So um, uh, please um, jump into that for those who are subscribers, because there's lots of interesting things about tackling on hard grounds and creativity, um, and um, it's uh, very important that we keep reflecting on things and how things change. So once again, thank you very much for your time, Nick. Pleasure. An absolute pleasure. Really enjoyed it. And uh, we look forward to catching up with you again very soon. Uh, this is a Rugby Coach Weekly podcast uh, available on all good podcast sites. And also, if you want to find out more about this podcast and all the other podcasts we do, go over to rugbycoachweekly.net and click on the podcast button and um we look forward to um chatting with you all again very soon bye-bye thanks for listening to rugby coach weekly podcast if you want to hear more podcasts head over to rugbycoachweekly.net and click on the blogs tab to catch up on any episodes you've missed we look forward to speaking to you again soon with more insights from coaches and experts from the world of rugby sport and learning